G'day. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm going to be really quick on this intro because uh, I'm doing two episodes in the one day. Wasn't meant to be. Uh, this was meant to come out two weeks later, but I sat down with Ryan uh, Griffin, who is today's uh, guest on the podcast, uh, the creator of Clever Man, a brilliant show on the ABC that's been played uh, all over the world and I absolutely fucking adored. And it is on ABC iView, which is the free catch-up service the ABC runs for another week. So I just thought I'd put this up now. No point putting it up in two weeks when he tells you there's one week to go where you can watch it for free and it was a week ago. So uh, I'm going to put it up today because I want everyone to watch this show and it's for free. So get on the internet, get onto ABC iView. In fact, you know what? If you just downloaded this podcast and you haven't watched Clever Man yet, you can actually just pause this podcast and listen to it in two weeks. But what I just need you to know is this bit, this vital bit right now. Go to ABC iView and watch Clever Man. You have one week to watch six episodes. Watch one a day. Watch them all in a row. Take a day off work tomorrow and watch this show support this show share it around uh it is a brilliant show and i can't wait for season two and this was a wonderful chat with ryan griffin the creator uh that we had tonight at the chippendale hotel you'll hear all about that in this episode so um please check out his show and i should mention i forgot to mention this when i put up the jane caro episode that i also put up this morning uh that I will be at Splendor in the Grass this weekend, not only enjoying some music, but I'll also be performing. I'm doing a comedy show, Will Anderson and Friends, with a bunch of the best young comedians from around Australia, new and emerging comedians, uh, who are going to be performing on that show. And, you know, little old me, old man Ando as well. Uh, So uh, I am the Will Anderson bit. They are the friends. Uh, It is a Saturday night and uh, Sunday night. I think it starts at five, goes through to about... Uh, 7.30, so not up against too many of the big bands, and uh, that should be really great fun. So if you want to come down and see some great stand-up comedy, come and check us out at Splendor in the Grass. Okay, that's it. I'm not going to bang on anymore in this one because I want to get it up as soon as possible. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks to Ryan for being part of it. We had a great time and uh, had some beers beforehand, had some beers afterwards. Uh, Nearly did a whole podcast either side of the podcast, but uh, we very much enjoyed this. It was the first time that uh, we had actually met Met, even though we had been speaking online for a while. So really interesting podcast, uh, really fun guy. And please check out Clever Man and support Clever Man. And uh, uh, look, I don't know if there'll be one up in two weeks or whether this has to, I don't know. Don't ask me questions I don't know the answer to. I hope you enjoyed this one. I'll talk to you again soon. So. to Willosophy with Will Anderson. Now, this may be the first uh, Willosophy I've ever recorded uh, in a pub. So this is out the back of a pub, uh, the Chippendale Hotel in Sydney, which I'm going to give a plug to because not only do they do an excellent mac and cheese, which I eat quite a lot because it's quite next to my offices for Gruen, uh, but also uh, we're out the back tonight and they did turn down their music so we could record this and still drink beer and didn't have to go back to the <laughs> office. So I'm very grateful of that. So a big shout out to the Chippendale Hotel. Uh, this is Willosophy. I have a guest here with me and as is traditional, on this podcast uh, guest, who are you? I'm Ryan Griffin. I'm an Aboriginal man, uh, also a writer and a director, uh, and the original concept creator of Clever Man. 
Okay, that's a pretty good summary. I like that. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't stop with Iron Ryan Griffin because then people might have thought you were the footballer. The football player. Ryan oh. Griffin, who used to be the captain of my football team and then came to GWS. So oh, really? This would have been a very bitter podcast <laughs> when I accused him of breaking my heart or podcast. Oh, it's funny. We have, uh, have this... Uh, my girlfriend always says to me... Um, because uh, my son brought it up first. He um, told all, all his friends, like, oh, you know, my dad makes this TV show, I'll Google. And this football player came up and all the friends didn't believe him. And so my girlfriend's like, well, you know, your goal is to just out-Google Ryan Griffin, the footballer. Yeah, that's right. That's when you know that the show has really hit. Like, sure, yeah, we won some, like, you know, Emmys and sure, we won some AFIs yeah. and sure, we've been, you know, I've been directing. But now that I'm a bigger Google search than Ryan Griffin. That's when you've made it. That's when you've made it. Yeah. Now, you are the creator of a TV show called uh, Clever Man, which if people haven't had an opportunity to watch yet, I... I loved this show. Like, I mean, I've told you this already. I messaged you privately. The first time I saw it, I was in Barcelona in Spain and I was watching it, I think illegally. Yeah, uh, beautiful. <laughs> but I was so excited about it and I'd heard so much about it in the uh, lead up to it. And the interesting thing was when I then went to America, it was easy for me to access it because it was playing over there on Sundance TV yeah. pretty much at the same time it must have been playing yeah. in Australia. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, literally a few hours before. You know, it's the closest that you can sort of go day and date. So there was about nine hours difference between when they aired and when we aired. Is that right? Now, was it airing in America first or here Yeah, first? well, that's how. That's the only way we could do it without it waiting a whole day. Like, it, the, the, they wanted to tr- close the window as much as possible. Right. And so, um, originally, because the ABC had always backed it, had, had picked it up first. But to, to make sure that everyone sort of goes out at the same time, we had to give it them to go first and then us nine hours later. Right. So we were getting an Australian show direct from America. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is an amazing show. We'll get to it in a minute because I do want to talk very much about the show and the process of making the show and how you know your life has changed so much and so quickly because of this show. But uh, this podcast, I always ask people, do they have a philosophy? So it's nice to get to that early so that we can then funnel the rest of the conversation through that if yeah, you yeah. have one. Do, do you have one? Yeah, I guess um, for, for me, it, it is about, uh, for me, it's always about finding something that's fun. Or that makes you happy. Um, you know, for a while I suffered from depression uh-huh. heavily. And for me, it was, it was once I got past the, you know, the thing of not letting stuff affect me, that's when things change. So whenever I get into situations that I'm like, fuck, this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying myself. Um, I, would, I would get stuck. And I think um, once I, I got past that and I knew, hey, this is just a passing phase or this is just something I have to deal with now. Then it was all, everything became clear, and, and 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 actually, that's sort of when Clever Man started started to push. I just sort of forgot about everything else and started worrying about what I wanted and what makes me happy. Well, t- talk me through that because I mean, I know it's a it's we're diving in the deep end on that one, but <laughs> yeah, you know. straight in there. Anyway, I used to be yeah, depressed. Yeah. Then. <laughs> uh, but talk to me about that because, yeah. like, to people out there, like sometimes I think when people say, because I've been very lucky that you know I have a job that even though I work really hard, like it doesn't feel like work because yeah. it's fun. You know, I love doing my job and you, you are able to throw yourself into your job when you do love doing it. But I think sometimes people like mistake the idea of fun or, or they have a different idea of what fun is and the idea that maybe fun isn't compatible with actually producing good work. So how yeah. did you come to that revelation? Talk me through like, you know, how you started to kind of get that idea. I think, I think for me, um, you know, it was sort of something that I, I suffered with for about seven or eight years that I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to talk. Oh, right. I didn't even want to talk about it. Okay. Um, and it's interesting now that I've sort of come out of that storm where people are like, 
like you were you've changed like you were a different person there was a period in your life that what you weren't you um you know i have uh someone that you know was my next neighbor growing up um and he i consider him my brother and he said look i didn't i didn't know you for seven years you know we didn't keep in contact and and I think for me it was a part of, you know, separating from an older relationship and, and realising the goals that I wanted in life, realising the things that I wanted to do for my son and then starting to do that. And, you know, like, I, you know, while, while I was getting Clever Man up, um, I, was, I was folding clothes in a warehouse right. just so I could have a place that was my own, that was close to the city so I could pursue this. Um, and I knew that going to, to this warehouse... It was that wasn't me. I wasn't enjoying it, but folding the clothes it just let me think about okay, I'm doing this to get happy, you know. Just folding each clothes, and then um, when the show started to roll out and roll out, I was like, okay, that's fine. Like I've just got to push past all that sort of shit. Uh, that's really amazing. So tell me the story of. Uh, clever man how it became because we were just having a beer before this when yeah. we were deciding whether we would go to the office or not and then I and just beers went out and yeah I was like I was willing really to record over the music just so that we could stay here and have beers but luckily they turned it off um, you were saying to me that originally well tell people about where you were at like pre-clever man because for most people I guess this is the first time they will have ever you know heard of you yeah um, okay so I guess um, like I grew up in the, the Blue Mountains uh-huh. uh, west, of, west of Sydney um, for me, I, I grew up in a predominantly white town. You know, I was the only uh, Aboriginal kid in my, in my school that identified. And, you know, there, there were a couple that I knew that didn't put their hand up. Kept it on the DL. Um, and that was, that was tough. It was, you know, there was, there was parts where you, you come across, like, uh, casual racism. You know, like, you know, I remember going to some of my closest friends' houses and their mum giving me plastic cups while the rest had glass and things like that, you know, just sort of wow. going. Um, and for me, I was just like, okay, well, at, at, at first it was like, well, that was part of my life. I was uh-huh. like, well, that's how it's got to be. Um, As a kid, are you aware that that is what it is or is it only something that in reflection as you get older that you get a more of an awareness of what was going on at those times? I think it's a bit of both, actually. Yeah. I think... Um, Early on, my dad sort of let me get to that myself. Like he wasn't, he wasn't sort of going around saying, you know, be proud, be black. You know, he was sort of letting um, me come to it. And I think when he started to understand that, that's where I, you know I was starting to own my, my identity. I remember once um, we were at, a, I was playing basketball at the time, and um, I took my shoes off. I got quite flat feet, and someone said, "Oh, well, you got boom feet." And I, at first I was like, oh, and my dad was there. And my dad waited for, for this guy to, to leave and he's like, he's like, it's all right for you to say something. Like if someone says right. something, you don't have to take it on the chin. And I think a part of me, you know, I was probably, you know, 13 at the time. And I guess that had positive effects and ne- negative effects because I guess from then I sort of took if anyone said anything I should punch them right <laughs> so, um, yeah dad's like I said you could say something I didn't say you could belt them in the face exactly so it was it, it did have its pros and cons but I, I guess for me it was like okay well it's it's where I can start to own my Aboriginality you know like it, did uh, the other kids have an awareness of... Because how old are you, if you don't mind me I'm asking? I'm 33. Okay, so you're like a 10 years essentially younger than me. I'm 42. But, like, you know, that's a, a decent enough amount of time. I remember when I was at school, 
uh, we had a friend who, who was not indigenous, but who I think uh, Islander or you know, Poland. I, I'm not quite sure, and I, I don't want to speculate for the sake of you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> getting into a terrible, air, yeah, a terrible. But his nickname at primary school was Chico. You know, like the the little the jelly babies. Yeah, yeah. And as a kid, it never occurred to me that that was like a in any way, like because. He thought, you know, well, to us, you know, to our world, that was his nickname. Yeah, yeah. He thought it was funny. None of us seemed to be saying it with any hatred in our heart. And it's only, like, you know, as an adult that I've kind of come to awareness of, you know what? I mean, yeah, shit exactly. like that was happening much more often than I would have imagined. Did you, uh, did the other kids have an awareness of, like, what was the way that the other kids yeah. kind of reacted? Look, I think, um, I think a lot of them didn't understand what they were saying. Um, it was interesting. I... I, I I, I wrote an article for The Guardian of, uh, just before Clever Man came out and uh-huh. I had two friends message me and go because I talked about the plastic cups I talked about hearing people say you know Abbo or Boong and I had two friends come back and go that wasn't me was it like if so I apologise like right. I don't you know and I'm like no 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 because I would have let you know yeah <laughs> um, yeah did I punch you yeah, no, no it probably wasn't then you it wasn't you yeah. <laughs> um, no but like I think um, there's times where you would just realise Fuck! I've got to stand up and say something. Like I've got to, I've got to do something. Like I remember um, playing, uh, starting rugby and, and meeting a group of uh, guys. They're all, they all, you know, white guys. And one guy's nickname was Abbo. And I'm like, why are you, why are you calling? Why do you guys call him? Right. And they, they're like, oh well, they, he just looks it. And I'm like, well, I just want to let you guys know I'm Abbo. And they, yeah. and they sort of, they stop, they stop saying that. But it's sort of that environment that they're in that it was okay because there was no one pulling them up on it. You know, so I think you know, being in, in a in a um, in an environment where pr- everyone's predominantly white, racism just slides over and forgets if no one pulls them up. And a, a lot of these people, you know, are, are my, are, you know, are my friends, and, and we've grown and I've taught them, hey, don't say that, don't do this. And I know for a fact, if we were ever in a pub and someone said something to me, they'd be the first person to jump in. So. I think it, it was just part of the the environment that we grew up in. Uh, do you think that Australians are in no... Uh, this is a leading question, by yeah. the way. Oh, thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> <laughs> but, do, I mean, do, I, there's part of me that thinks that, at least with the Pauline Hansons of the world, uh, their racism is on front street. Like, you can see exactly where they're coming from and, you know, it's like they're basically just saying, here's what I believe and it's out in the open and blah, blah, blah. Whereas sometimes I feel like people who consider themselves to be, you know, small L liberal, like, you know, left wing people or whatever, yeah. that there's that, the casual racism that Australia's is almost... Australia's casual like, racism is on point. Right. Like, it is. Number one? Number Would you one. say we're number one we're, in the world I think we're pretty racist? good at it. And I think the thing is, is that being someone, being a light-skinned Aboriginal person, yeah. I get to see the, the both sides of the, the coin, you know? Like, you, you can enter a room and people say something that they wouldn't say in front of a black man. Right. But until you get you get pulled up on it, and then they they tell you, they get checked straight away, um, you know. And it, it's it's funny, you know. My my, my girlfriend, um, she's she's from Birmingham, so and she always, and she says to me, she's like, oh, Ryan, you you always point out, you know, whether it's a black, whether they're black or white, or you always go back to identity or this. And I go, well, that's because it's such a big thing in this country that we just, you know, we we tend to be racist when now when we don't try to be. What do you think? I mean, obviously this is a massive question and there is no you know, one answer to it, but I just like to hear what you think. Um, 
I, I sometimes feel like I don't know what the way forward is in, in this country. And it, and it kind of, it disappoints me in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, we have the you know, world's oldest, you know, living people here on this, like, you know, land who have this, like, incredibly rich history, which is something that, you know, you explore so well in your show. Yeah. Like, but that we can't seem to embrace in the way that other countries have, you know, made peace with and embraced their stories. Like, yeah. I, can, I can only think of our country going, if I look at our ideal country, don't we want to have a country that, where our original people are as, you know, as... Uh, God, it's so hard to... Yeah, but have, have as much opportunity and as much of a part of our society and as much a chance to be successful, if not more... Than yeah. the rest of us, wouldn't that only make us a better country? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, for me, I'll sort of go back to, to sort of high school. For me, being at high school, all I wanted to do was be there to party. Right. I wasn't there for an education. My teachers knew it, and um, and one teacher, she she was my history teacher. She put me aside, and she's like, "Look, you know, if you pay attention to history, you'll get a lot out of it." And I was like, "Yeah, whatever," you know. I would sit at the back of the class and just, you know, make smart-ass comments. And then she, um, she, she pointed me out and she go, and we're talking about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And she asked a question to me. She goes, so Ryan, what would you do to stop the Arab-Israeli conflict? <laughs> and I was like, what? Are you seriously asking me that question? Right. Um, Be great if you came up with yeah, a perfect response. Yeah, if you could just sort that out and yeah. write it in a, in a letter. Yeah. Um, and she goes, because I want to know that because it could help in Australia and and um, I sat back and I was like fuck she's, she's kind of got a point there it's sort of there how do we how do we treat people that have you know deep seated hatred towards each other because of history you know I'm sitting in a class full of a bunch of white followers but we get on fine what's what's breaking what's stopping everyone else to go forward in that way um, and I said look I, I don't know I, I said I guess in a way to start with the kids and and she said, "Well, how how do you how do you do that?" And I'm like, "You get them both in a room and you just play Lego together." And she's like, "Okay, that's great, but how do you stop the parents when they get home?" And I and I, you know, I kept on getting like brick walls. I think it, it is such a, I think it's such a hard road to cross because there's so many. It's like playing Frogger. There's so many obstacles to get to where you want to go. Um, for for me, it, it is just starting to get more of our culture in people's faces. Right. Get it more accepted. Um, I use... Everyone's sort of asking, you know, uh, in respects to Clever Man, you know, it's great to sort of see this on, on screen. How come we haven't had it before and all this sort of stuff? And I don't think we could have had it before because we didn't have the roads pay for us. When you look in the, the States, you know, they had um, black comedy or, you know, African-American comedies on screen like... Sanford and Sons and you know the Cosby show and you know these were early on that helped pave the way to, to and I think you know, the Cosby's a good example probably not now nah, but yeah. I mean it's a tougher example now yeah. but you know let's, um, let's forget the events of the last <laughs> for the context of this anecdote context of this yeah. um, is if you have a look at it that family could have been a white family right you know as a you know, in, in, a in a stereotype. Yeah, yeah no, he was I mean, a doctor. Was, All the kids went yeah. to university. And it, it, it broke the stereotype that everyone's like, well, you know, black people don't have a job. They don't go, you know, got an education. But they broke that mold where it sort of said, we're just exactly like you guys. And we kind of haven't had that here in Australia. We haven't had 
you know, shows that have just been ours. You know, over the last few years we have. And I think... Who um, did you look up to? Like, as a as someone who, like, you know, obviously got interested at some stage. Well, who did you look up to as a teenager? Was it sports people? Was it... Because to me, when I think of Indigenous, like, leaders, the first thing, you know, I mean, and it's, it's, it's not an uncommon story around the world, by the way. Like, one of the best ways for, you know, African-American youth to get out of poverty still in America is through yeah, sports, sport. music... Or education. They're your yeah, three yeah. kind of ones. And sports and music are normally the, the fast track out of there. In Australia, I mean, you know, if you look at the rugby league or the AFL, these are industries where 10% of the workforce can be Indigenous and they can be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And there doesn't seem to be that sort of opportunity for Indigenous people in many other industries. Yeah. So was it sports people that you looked up to or was it not Indigenous people at all think, that you looked yeah, up to? Yeah, I think it was yeah. more non-Indigenous people because I, I guess for me, being in a... A, a white environment yeah. I don't have access to that sort of stuff you know and it wasn't again it wasn't something you know it was something my, my dad wanted me to, to find myself he didn't want to force it on me um, but I guess for me it was about like you know the, the same teacher she she introduced me to like the civil rights movement she te- she taught me about the um, the Northern Ireland conflict you know these were all conflicts that I could relate to that treated a, a minority in, in a way that they had to fight back and um, I guess for me, it wasn't until, you know, I was in my, my mid-20s where I was like, I really started to p- pursue that sort of stuff because, you know, I, I would not want to meet who I was when I was 16 to 21. I was a prick. Uh-huh. And I admit it. And, and, and it's interesting when we, we were in the writer's room and I tell stories about, um, I, you know, as a kid, I'm like, all right, so don't, don't take this as who I am now. But and then we tell tell the story. But um. do you think, based on that, that and I often think this, that we judge people way too harshly, like for things they do when they're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. But also the pressure that we put on people, like to decide what they're going to do with their life. You know, this schooling system where we kind of convince these kids that you know your results at the end of some exams you have when you're seventeen are going to determine what you do for the rest of your life. I mean, for for me. Like I said, I went to school to party on weekends. Um, I'd, I'd never had a, I, like, I never had an idea that I wanted to be in this industry. I never had an idea that I was like wanted to be a labourer, a teacher, or whatever. I was like, I want to party with my mates, go and play some footy, probably get into a fight or two, and then do the same thing the next weekend. Um, and then, you know, I finished high school. I'm like, all right, well, I needed to find something else to do. Um, and I went and did a film course in Redfern. Um, now, what was how did how did you get to the film course? Like, what 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 made you think I'm going to go and do a film course? Uh, my 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 dad um, he he was the director of that TAFE at the time, so he was he, he sort of ran ran. So stuff. nepotism is what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and he and, and and he sort of you know he sort of said you know like you need to do something. You can't yeah. stay in this house yeah. and not do anything. Um, and he, he gave me a list of things, and I'm like, oh, film looks all right. Yeah. Um, but then like it's funny because then I looked at that and then I started to do that. And then I just looked back at all the things I connected to when I was younger. I was like, well, it kind of makes sense, you know. Right. Like, I couldn't read or write all the way, like, up to high. Like, I could, but just barely. Like, I, I, I just scraped by all the way through high school. You know, they were still trying to teach me to read in high school. Um, and comics and TV shows were, were the only thing I could connect to. And then when I started to work more into this and... Uh, I started to read more than I ever read before, you know. I started to read anything that I could get my hand on. I, you know, I read the Bible, I read the Quran, like just to um, 
push myself. Uh-huh. Um, and then... That's interesting to me. Did you read them cover to cover, the Bible and the Quran? No, or that did was you... fucking hard read. I was about to say. <laughs> like, know, there'd be so... Christians and Muslims who haven't read just, either oh, of those it books. Is, it is hard. It was ridiculously hard. Like, it, And then you get to points where you go... I'll skip a few. Yeah. You know, like I got when, the gist. Blah, blah, blah. Be nice to people. Blah, blah, blah. Name when, uh, Isaac begot. I was like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm still going. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. I get the gist. Who's the one that I need to know about? Yeah, exactly. It's not enough previously on. <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. Exactly. Um, and, and I think that's when that's when everything started to open up more. And I, right. I started to watch more film and TV. Then I, I, I found my passion. I found the thing I like. Wow, this could, you know, What's, imagine if... And what stuff this. did you like? I mean, like, you talk about comics, you talk about, like, films, those sort of things. Like, what what particular characters, what particular writers, what particular films, you know, what, um, what, who was... What stuff really connected with you? I guess for... for like, I, I wanted to go through just... Like, I, I wanted to go on the journey of cinema. Uh, so I started to watch old stuff, you right. know, um, and, then, and, and then genre. Um, like growing up for me, I, I watched. You know, I'm a massive Batman fan. I'm a massive Ninja Turtle fan. Um, you know, I remember. So the Ninja Turtles was that the comic books that first got you into it, or the early movie? The, no, it was, it was the, the it was actually the cartoon, the cartoon series. Because oh, yeah. I remember the cartoon series was good, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was, it was weird because and it was and I still remember the day that I stumbled across it. I can't even remember the show that we were going to watch. Right. Went over to my, my next door neighbor's house. There was a show that we always watched at this time. And they like they they said it was like whatever Today's the show blah, 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 was isn't playing be because we're we're showing Ninja Turtles. I'm like, okay, what's this? And we watched it, and I just lost my shit. And right. we went out in the backyard, you know, ripped all the sticks up and started to smack each other with sticks. Right. And and um and for me, I was just like, okay, this is interesting. I really got connected to that. And it wasn't until I could start reading better that I started to get the old like the graphic novels and, and the comics and all that sort of stuff um, where I'm like this, this world's just exciting um, you know I think I think the first book that I ever read front to back was the book adaptation of the movie Hook by Steven Spielberg <laughs> the Hook book the Hook book um, and it was just but like you didn't read Peter Pan I didn't read Peter Pan no you read what's Peter Pan yeah you, you know? didn't read <laughs> I read Hook, which I already had seen the movie of. Right. So, um, Rufio. That was the yeah, That was the, exactly. I was like, "Where's Rufio? Yeah, where's Rufio? Bangarang!" <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I yeah, I just that was the first thing, and I was like, "Okay, I, I can do this." Right. Um, I can still. I still often like when I'm when I'm writing for on a script. I, I still, and I'm sure, like you know, our editor, editors of the scripts and that. Because back, it's probably littered with spelling mistakes, but they get the gist of what I'm right. trying to say. Um, <laughs> Plus, you know, there's spell check now. Yeah, it's exactly, fine. exactly. Um, Plus, you can do all. You could always do the thing that if the Americans read it, go. I oh, know that's how we spell that's, it in Australia, that's mate. A, that's that's yeah, Aboriginal that's, dialect. Yeah, that mate. Oh, are, you, are you being racist? No, that's exactly. how. Oh, sorry, mate. Oh, well, you, you it's spell. The, it's a roll of the you tongue. You're getting mate? it wrong. You spell it your white man's way. <laughs> but if you want to oppress me, but this is how I spell. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, it's funny. I, I remember one day, um, someone. This is probably when I was a lot younger. Someone got me to spell indigenous, and I was like, I don't know how to spell that. And they go, "What? How do you not know how to spell?" I'm like, "Well, it's your language." <laughs> yeah, we didn't call ourselves indigenous. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting to me that, uh, like, I mean, it was. I was uh, reading something that I think it was that, that Luke Pearson wrote about 
the idea that when you know not only that when the you know the you know first fleet came you know the the, the you know came to Australia and the the fact that Indigenous people you know Aboriginal people it never occurred to me as a child that Aboriginal was of course a label that was put on by the outside it was yeah. like you know it was just like them coming to Australia and calling them trees or whatever it was just a name it wasn't their name it wasn't what they called themselves yeah, it wasn't yeah. how they identified and the fact that you not only has your home been invaded by this other force but then they've labeled you and given you a new name and a new story it must be how much of that did you know that you were aware of at high school or when was it that you became really aware of like you know the 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 white history of Australia and the fact and the effect that that had had on Indigenous people. Yeah, I think for, for me it was it was later, and you know, it was a, you know, around like seventeen, eighteen, when I wanted to, when I could read, where I could like, you know what, I can I can go get a book, I can go look on the internet, I can read it, I can research myself, and reading a lot of things, you know, like I remember reading, reading stuff that I'd go back and tell my friends, that, you know, like. Do you know there's there's stories that have been written down of white fellas kicking babies' heads off, and they're like, no, that wouldn't happen. I like, no, like, have you read anything? You know, just right. they're thinking that no atrocities happened. It was just you know a takeover, and that was it. And and for me, I guess that's where I that's when I was like, you know what, well, I want to do as much as I can here. And I think that journey for me is 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 a different is how I deal with my son differently than my dad does. Yeah, so that's know? interesting to me. And I was going to ask you about that, if you're happy to talk yeah, about yeah. that, is how do you, what is your philosophy in regard to him knowing those things? Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, he's, he's lighter skin than I am. His, his mother is also, uh, uh, you know, Aboriginal, light-skinned Aboriginal. Um, and I guess for me, like when I was growing up, I could say to someone, you know, I'm a backfella, and they're like, yeah, they'll debate it until they saw my dad right and then they accepted it you know it was like I was bullshitting them until they saw my dad you you were basically an Andrew Bolt column yeah until they saw your dad exactly (laughs) Um, and and for my my son he's never going to get that opportunity like you know he can debate it he can debate it and then they'll see me and they'll still debate it Um, and you know he you know he's he's only you know he's only nine but he's he calls himself a black father you know, he, he always he always talks about, you know, when there's stuff at school, he'll put his hand up if it's to do with, you know, Aboriginality or anything like that. He'll go, yep, I'll, I'll be the forefront of that. And that was the big push for me, um, for, for Cleverman, was to give him something that he could own that doesn't matter what all these people would have a go at him. He'd just like, you know, fuck your opinion. I know who I am and move forward. Um, where it took me a while to get to that point. And that was the big push for me for Clever Man, you know, and and it was, and it was just realizing how much he loves superheroes. I was like, all I need to do is make a, a black superhero for him, and that will give him the push forward. And it, and it's interesting. I was only only a couple of weeks ago now. Um, my son's new love is is WWE wrestling. He uh-huh. Loves it. Okay, sure. Loves it. Yep. Um, and I walked into the into his bedroom. I uh, bought him like a big bed. And he's there wrestling a pillow. I'm like, what are you doing, bud? I'm like, what the hell is going on? He had like a, you know, one of those mes- Mexican wrestling masks yeah. on. And the theme of Clever Man was playing in the background. I'm uh. like, What's, what are you doing? He's like, I'm wrestling. I'm like, yeah, but why, why you got that on? He's like, oh, 
I'm Clever Man. Right. That's my wrestling That's name. my I'm character. The, I'm the Clever Man. Yeah. And I come out to that. You play like, the theme music. Yeah, you come exactly. out to the music. And I was just like... That would be good music to come out to as a wrestler, <laughs> yeah, by the way. And I was just like, fuck, that's it. Like, right. That was the that was the aim. Sparked the imagination, and and that's all gave them the opportunity to make up their own stories with the characters exactly. you've created. Yeah, and then and that's and that's that's all I wanted to do is like have this show in some way empower people, right? And to see that in my son, I was just like, well, well, I think it, I mean I think that it, it very much achieves that, like you know, it, and that's only one of many things that it does achieve but I think that's probably the one that you can be most confident that it does achieve is that it like you know you have you've created that opportunity for those stories to be cool and to be to capture their imagination and for people to you know for kids because that's the thing about kids when kids are playing you know cowboys and Indians which well that's probably culturally insensitive (laughs) Uh, cowboys and native anyway don't play that one let's not play that one at all yeah but you know if they're playing Batman and Robin or if they're playing Superman and Batman or whatever they're not acting out storylines from the movie or the comic book they're making up their own stories that have those characters and you know to give them characters, you know, that they can identify with and relate to, I mean, is a great gift to a generation. So let's now talk about Clever Man then and how it came about, because it's a really interesting story about how even the show came about. You said originally it was, I mean, it wasn't going to be what it was. So yeah. talk us through where you're at, like, you know, what, where you had the original idea and how that became Clever Man. So it actually, it actually goes all the way back to... It goes back to Ninja Turtles, actually. Oh, okay, here um, we go. Good. It was something that I... I you met a giant I talking like to, I like to force onto my son the love of my things onto yeah. him. Um, but he, re- he really you know, he really loved the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And I've actually got a video of the day that I sort of knew that I wanted to tell a story like this um, of my son dressed up as a Ninja Turtle. He's dressed up as Raphael. And I'm fighting him with like an egg lifter, a spatula. Uh-huh. We're hitting, hitting around, <laughs> and we're mucking around with that. And you know, you know, he fell on the ground. He, he was really like role playing the Ninja Turtles. And we finished, we finished that, and he went to bed. And I sat there. I was like, if I if I could create a superhero for him, or something that he could pretend to play, um, it, it'll it, he can connect to culture. So we first started this, uh, I, I pitched the idea to uh, the company Goalpost Pictures, who I was an intern for at the time. So when you were an intern, how does the internship work in Australia? Is that unpaid or is that a paid internship? Well, that was a paid, yeah. paid one because uh, I went through uh, the Screen Australia at the time, well, it was AFC at the time, um, and I was dealing with Sally Riley, who's now working for the ABC. Um, and I said to her, I'm like, look, you know, I want to... They, they first asked me, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, to be fair, I, I don't watch much Australian television, so I can't give you the things that you want to hear. Like, I want to, I just want to make genre. I want to make big action movies. I want to right. make this. And they said, well, look, if we can put you on a few projects and see how you feel. And I worked on a small telly movie with Goldpurse Pictures as an attachment. And that's only, you know, only a small paid job. You go in and do some stuff. Um, and they sort of said, look, if you want to do a longer period, we can see what we can do. So it was a uh, Screen Australia funded for me to do a year's internship there. Okay, fantastic. Um, and so while I was there, I was doing a, a working on a kids show with them called Lockie Leonard. 
Oh, um, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, sure. And- I've heard of it. I, don't, I must admit, I, it'd be weird for me. I don't have kids, so uh, yeah. if I was dropping into Lockheed Leonard, it'd probably, probably be a red flag on my computer exactly. or something, I think. You're now one of the dots yeah. on the screen. Um, no, I think, like, we were over there, and um, it, was a, it was a boozy lunch uh-huh. on, a, on one of the days off, and um, one of the partners said to me, so what do you want to do, Ryan? And I, and I just said, I just said, look, I just, I'd like to make a superhero for my son, an Aboriginal superhero. And I, I, I just left it at that. It wasn't like a formal pitch or right. anything like that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, after, after we got back, because uh, it was shot in WA, we came back and they said, look, would you want to formally pitch that idea? And so, you know, mocked together a document. Um, it was originally called Dreamtime Detectives and it was, it was aimed at a, at a kid's market. And I pitched it to them, and they said, "Look, we'd love we'd love to help you do it. Like, you know, let's let's um, let's work something out." And my, my time there was was finishing up, and so they said, "Look, maybe we could go back to Screen Australia and say, look, we want to do another year. Um, if they pay for some of it, you know, Screen Australia pays for it, but then I can work on this and any other project at the same time." And so we started to develop it up, um, and the more that we worked in the, that realm, the, the more that we realised. It was too hard to tell these stories in a kid's world. You know, right. like, um, you know, if they're teaching kids not to steal or whatever, they'd go to the river, steal some fish, and then someone would kill them. And you're like, well, I can't really put that on right. like ABC3. Um, the kid steals the Snickers and then gets stabbed. Like, we figured that... Um, we had to. You know, I would love that. <laughs> exactly. I would love that. Um, that should be like ABC Five. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, some real life lessons for children. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, and then, so we, we, you know, we took it back to, to Sally Riley, and she said, "You know what? If you want to age it up and keep pushing it, throw a whole heap of sex and violence in there, and it might be something for for, for us." And, and I think that was our first jump off. We we're like, "Wow, we can we can really push this. We can yeah. really go and tell." everything that we wanted to tell politically you know also all the shows that I watch we could do all that now so what what shows were you watching what were the things that you know you were kind of inspired by um I think I not many people remember this I guess but like when I was young I used to watch this show called Tour of Duty it was was an old war TV show I think it was about Vietnam okay and it was um it was just it was something that me and my uh, my next neighbour would go out you know, I shouldn't have been watching it. Like, I, I know that, like, his family would record it. They would go, uh-huh. I'm going next door to play. And then we'd put it on and watch it. And then we'd go in the, you know, in the backyard and, and shit. And for me, it was like, at the time, it was, it was kind of edgy. Like, it was, you know, they had the, they had the, the race issue of, 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 you know, white soldiers fighting sure. next to black soldiers. Uh-huh. You know, it was quite graphic. And I was just like, okay that's kind of what I want to do. I want to really push the boundaries. Um, and then, you know, the more that um, we started to, to delve into the, sh- the thing, the, the story, I just bring up everything I watch. Um, you know, I, I guess the way that I work in the writer's room is I will talk about other shows or other movies that I've seen and I'll talk about a scene. It's like the essence of this scene, but let's put it in our world. Yeah. So we'll talk about one thing where the subtext is this, and then we'll do our twist on it, um, or we'll we'll combine that with stories from me growing up. Like, um, for example, the in our in our first episode, um, there's a, a story of 
these kids stealing rims and putting it on the doc's car. Yeah. That's a true story. Okay, right. So it was sort of, um, you know, trying to find those sort of, those things that, that worked for us, but putting twists on it. Um, I mean, the interesting thing to me, just uh, before we get to the kind of the themes that run through the program, is just from, uh, like, uh, people who are listening to this from a creator's point of view, like from a creative and artist's point of view, the idea that a show that feels as complete... Like, Clever Man, to me, feels like the show it always was. And I think sometimes in entertainment, we forget that, like, a show like that may have not started that. As yeah. complete as it feels now, and as much as you feel like, oh, this must have arrived fully formed as this idea, it wasn't that idea at all. What's that process like when you suddenly are like, oh, this thing that I thought was the thing yeah. that I was putting all my energy into, I've realised, were you happy to pivot, or was that hard? It's the toughest thing you right. do, I think. Um, you know, to to let go of your your personal ideas and to to start listening to other people, um, and also, I think a, a part of me again is just the way that I grew up and, and arguing and fighting with people. Some of that sometimes come into the room. I, right. I kind of don't have a filter sometimes, so someone will pitch something. Go, oh, well, that's shit, and I was like, oh, okay, I probably shouldn't say right. it like that. Yeah. Oh, we should do it a different way. So, you know, a lot of the rooms were, were um, sometimes they were beautiful, fun. You have a laugh. Um, there's ways you can get stuff off your chest. You're like, you know, this just stays in the room. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and but then there's other times where everyone in the room has a different opinion and you all argue and you argue and you just um, try, and, try and get past that point. I think one of the big things for me and was one of my sticking points was and and one that I, I, I you got to pick your battles and yep. you got to say well I'll let that slide I'll let this one slide for me I would always say I, I don't want to make Australian television that was the one thing that I always argue about and we get to things and I go it feels like Australian television and they go why why right. And what, and what would those things be? What are your red flags? Like when you say, I don't want to make Australian television, I mean, maybe just a sense that you have, but are there certain things that you go, that's a red flag for I, me? For me, it's, it's um, simple, straightforward storytelling where you don't get the audience to, to work. Right. You know, like you, 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 get, you know that, or oh, we've got 45 minutes left and we haven't resolved stuff, shit's going to happen in the next five minutes and then, you know, we'll get a resolve. You know, I would always say, you know, um, I go, look, we don't have to do it, but just imagine if we sat in a car park for 20 minutes right? and just l- have these characters talk at each other. That's something that we haven't seen before. You know, that's something that we can we can push the boundaries of. Or let's try and twist the way that we tell the story. Let's, let's um, you know, really fuck with the structure. Um, and so... And it There's was certainly... Hard. And look, I won't get spoilers. I won't give any spoilers because, like, I, I hope that... There probably is like an untapped audience of people out there that haven't seen the show yet who hopefully are going to go away and and watch it. But I was talking to you earlier when we were just having a chat about it off air that there is a thing that happens in the final episode where the show, I mean, it doesn't completely shift, but there's certainly like you've got an ace up your sleeve that you've kind of been keeping till that moment. Yeah. And And you said that was a very, you know, that was a very considered method of telling that story. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we'd always talk about um, because we're trying to make something different, if we start our show at the, the big stuff, that, the, the things we want to change in the industry, people are going to switch off because they're not, they're not used to it. So if we slowly build them up and, and throw a few things out here and there, they start to relate to it or they, 
they get to know the characters that when you just fuck stuff up for them they'll go on that journey because they want to know more what they want to know what else is going to happen and I think um, it was hard because I think we had writers that were, were had been working in the Australian industry for, for years you know longer than I've been alive so it's like you know I'm trying it's hard for me to, to come in and say that doesn't feel right because they've got more experience than me and but it's also a gut feeling to me going but there's a reason why I feel it's wrong. So how did you negotiate that? Because I've been in those situations in my past as well where at the end of the day it's your, like, I mean, it's up to you for it to be your vision, but at the same time you're working in a team environment and sometimes there are people on that team who do have more experience than you have. How do you get to that point where, and how do you negotiate that point where someone who does have more experience is saying one thing and your gut is saying another thing to know whether you should trust your gut in that situation <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whether you should trust the experience in that situation. I think it's a, it's, it's trial and error. Right. <laughs> I, I think I think you. I've, I do th- like you know. I do think me in the writers' room this season is a lot different than the me a year ago. Uh-huh. You know, in, in I, what ways? I think um, I'm more I'm more open to letting people run on an idea. Mm. I'm more open to. Um, arguing and then dropping back and then just letting people go um, you know like we've had heated moments this season um, but we come back into the room and we know what we want to make um, and I think I think you've just got to you've got to find the people that you can argue with and then come to work the next day and then go it was what it was well, there's, a, there's probably a difference between arguing with you both wanting the result of moving yeah. forward. Yeah, exactly. As a vote. And this, I mean, this is one of my problems I have, to be honest, with public discourse these days, is that so many of the, you know, the television shows that purport to be you know, conversations about us moving forward together are really just two diametrically opposed sides that are never going to agree yelling at each other. Yeah. And I think there is a difference between, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a different opinion or... I mean, quite often in a Gruen meeting, I will fight passionately for an idea and then at the end agree with the other person. Like, yeah, I just yeah. need to argue it out first. Yeah, and exactly. go, no, no. Oh, I've, yeah, I I've given you all my best arguments <laughs> and I believe that you are right. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> just needed to hear it's, them out it, loud. It is, it, is, uh, it is very much like that. And I think, I think once you, you realise you can do that and you've got a team that you can do that with, that's when it becomes easier. I think, uh, and again, I think it's also a part of you know, I said earlier, I think it's a part of, you know, who I was growing up, you know, like I felt like I always had to argue with someone or always had to, you know, if push came to shove, then one of us is going to throw a punch and we'll deal with it that way. And it is getting past that and going, all right, let's talk it through like adults and let's, let's really think about how this is going to work. Um, Has that been something that you've really had to consciously make an effort to do though? Like, do you feel like it's just something that has naturally come to you as you've got more experience or is there times when you have like had to kind of institute a technique to deal with it or like to literally remind yourself today, you know, when I go into this meeting, I'm going to behave in this sort of way? I I don't know. I don't know. A part of me, a part of me always says don't lose that. Yeah. Because that's what makes me, me in that room. Well, because that's the thing as well. You don't want to lose who you are yeah yeah and I think um, I think what you do is I sometimes just try and word it differently but still have the energy that I would you know um, I'm probably the person who swears the most in that room Uh and I think that's just me trying to get my point across Um, but I think that's that was the way that I was dealing with it then sort of attacking someone you know or, or I just you know I think now I'll sit back 
and I'll listen to someone's complete argument where I would usually go and shoot it down a sentence or two in. Right. Um, and so I think um, for, for me, I've really enjoyed this because of that. Like I think um, there's the more that you do these rooms, the more that you're going to realise, you know, the, the reason why people are in this industry for, you know, so many years is they do have the experience and, yeah, I'm going to learn from them. But at the same time, I feel like they can learn from me. Oh, and I mean, if you've got the best people, you know, like if someone's come to write on your show, a lot of the time it's because they love your vision or your idea and they want to be work in the service of that yeah. vision or that idea and you just have to access the best way for them to do that. So tell me then about... So one of the most fascinating things to me about Clever Man is the i mean the layers of there about the indigenous stories first and foremost but then you know there's a very much a socio-political satirical sort of aspect to the show as yeah. well so where did that come from what came first like you know how did that layer in like you know one of the things i'm most fascinated about is that some of these stories that you are using are stories that are very um uh that are very kind of special and intimate and I can imagine that there perhaps was even some resistance from people in the indigenous community yeah, yeah. to using these stories in this way. Was there? Is, yeah, I... yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like we couldn't do this show without getting the permissions to do it, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I think, um, I think that's why we had so much problem, so much issues with setting it as a kid's show because we're trying to bend these stories to that genre where when we aged it up we don't have to bend to anything and you know I'd often go out to the communities and speak to to the elders and say this is what we wanted to do this is how we want to do it and first you go to some of the communities people didn't even know who I was right so you know I had to go well this is my nan she's here you know her I'm here to just you know connect with with country connect with you guys um and then we started to talk more and then I, you know, I talked to them why I wanted to make the show. That I wasn't here to, to rip them off. I wasn't here to, to steal their stories and make them my own. Um, you know, I'd often say to them, like, imagine, you know, to a couple of the elders, I'd go, imagine if we could have our own Harry Potter. Right. And they'd all go, oh, Harry Potter! <laughs> you know, they'd get all excited. And um, I said, yeah, but imagine if that was right. our, like, that was our culture. And, they, yeah. and then they, they started to get it. They started to go... Oh, and then they'd open up more and, and then, you know... Um, but it's also, you know, we have that and then we have um, the Clever Man stuff, which is real taboo in a lot of communities because it is men's business. So a lot of people don't even want to talk about it. You know? Right. There's, there's, so what, tell me what men's business... What does that mean? I mean, I've heard so, the term and, I, you yeah, know, so we all heard secret women's business and all those things. Yeah. Like, we hear these terms, but I'm not sure that I understand what it means. So I guess uh, in the terms of... Let me put it in the terms of the clever man. I, I, the the way I explain it to our international audience is I go, the clever man's kind of like the Pope of the dreaming. Right. You know, he's an appointed man. That and the dreaming for, like, I mean, again, like, let's, yeah. you know, let's step through this because it's interesting yeah, a, yeah. to me, but I hopefully to, you know, the international audience yeah. as well. The dreaming is... Is, I guess how I explain it yeah. is... Is everything? It's the past, present, and future. It's it's the reason why how I open the door in the morning. It's the, it's what makes me make my decisions. Mm-hmm. It's my ancestors reaching out to me. It is creation. It's it's everything. I guess it, um, 
you know, there's every everyone has their own interpretation of it, or or, or have each country has their own rules around the dreaming. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess you know, one thing for me is like when we talk about it in the show, is that we always talk about it as the dreaming and not the dream time. Yeah. Now, so that's a distinction that is purposeful. And what is the purpose of that? Well, for, well, for me, if we say it's the dream time, it it, it sort of pigeonholes it as. It's a creation, right? You know, it was it was back then. It happened. It's not now. Yeah, back in the past. Yeah, and yep. uh, and for me, it is it is about um, it, it is a it's a spirituality. It's 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 who you are. It's it, in Western terms, it's a religion, right. I guess. Um, and so, the the clever man is kind of the conduit between the present and the dreaming. Uh-huh. He was the person who could connect to, you know, why why are you sick? Is it are you sick? Not because you ate something bad. Are you sick because you've done something that you shouldn't have done? And so, you know, we had to sort of. It is a. It is a. It's a role that is. You know, for for my country, that you know, there are countries out there that have uh, women in this this position. Uh-huh. But for me, it was it was a man who was appointed or who was chosen. Sometimes chosen as a as a young kid or or chosen later on in life. Um, and. So kind of, I mean, wrong. a bit like the Dalai Lama in that sense, that it was someone who was actually yeah, like they, identified they, they could be or chosen. A healer. Yeah. They were considered. There was someone with a gift to, to make sure that um, those around it were looked after. You know, uh-huh. um, and sometimes uh, you know, there's stories of, of of clever men who exploited that gift, and so they were bad. So there was there's all different elements to it, um, but the big thing for me with the show was that was the first thing to go post colonization. You know, because you're introducing a religion. Right. And they're going, there's this greater being. Who the fuck's this crazy guy who thinks that there's this thing called the dreaming and he has these special powers to make you feel better? You know, so they, they, religion was sort of the first thing to sort of remove that that role and we luckily we've uh, moved past the fact where we divide our country on religion exactly it's not a problem anymore oh, no, no, so it doesn't affect I any, mean back then decisions. sorry about what happened but now we're, we're now we're absolutely we're fine everything's slate, fine man. it's good <laughs> um, you know like I, there, there was there was parts of that is what we wanted to touch on in the first episode you know like um, even our character Waru talks about Uncle Jimmy being off the rails you right. know because sometimes even our own culture makes people believe that that position isn't relevant anymore. Yeah. Um, so it was it was things like that that we really wanted to to bleed in, and I think um, what was that was quite one of the the hardest things to put through in, in the writers' room, you know, because there are things that you want to tell in a, in a genre or a superhero story, like you want to see someone get the powers, go through training to get to where they want to go. Right. But we can't show that because it's culturally sensitive. Right. So we're just like, and people are like, well, how does he become the clever man? How do we get, how do we show that? Do we get to see him start learning? And I was like, nope, nope, nope. No clever man training montage. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. You know, so um, we had to scratch, you know, so many 80s soundtracks off Alias. It's interesting to me though, because clearly that was something that was very important to you that, but it's hard when you're making a balance between you're trying to make a television show because at the end of the day you're still telling a story. This is yep. not a documentary about that time. You're using elements of that story, you know, in a broader sort of allegorical or metaphorical way, you know, and incorporating yep. them in. But you are trying to be as respectful as possible of those stories and their meaning, you know, as well. So 
is there a time where you get pressure, um, you know, from people who don't understand the sensitivities about yeah, look, those sort look, of things? Absolutely. And that's what happens in the room. Like, we'll get to points where we go, the room will pitch something and we start going down this route. And I'm sitting there, I'm turning over in my head, okay, can we do this? Can we do this? And then I was just like, if I, if I feel like I don't have the answer, I just go, no, we can't do it. And then there'll be questions why and, and all this sort of stuff. Like, um, we have a creature in this show in our first season that has specific rules around it. Uh-huh. And so we'd get to the, 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 the room and we'd write this scene and then the writers would come back and deliver it and I'd read it through. Like, that sounds amazing. But it hasn't followed this rule, this rule, this rule. And then and everyone's like, fuck, all right, and then we have to go back and change it. I think it was quite exciting because what you have is it made everyone work harder because you get to a point where you go, we can't tell this. We're going to have to do it a different way. Like... Um, the biggest thing, and, and it's constantly debated, um, even to, for this season, is our creatures, the hairy men. Uh-huh. In the show, they say that they just arrived six months ago. Yeah. And everyone like in the writer's room and even our audience today go, where the fuck did they come from? Yeah. Where are you going to tell us? You're going to tell right. us. And I'm always debating it. I'm always saying, I don't want to say. I don't want to I know why everyone wants to. There's two reasons for me. I want to hold it off until we know something that's really cool. Yeah. But the, the biggest thing for me is why I want to hold it off is because when these stories were, were told, they were told by elders and the elders weren't to be questioned. So the Harrys were up in the hill and if you went there, the hairy men will get you. You don't put your hand up and go, where'd they come from? Why can't I go there? It's just they're there, don't go there, shut your mouth. And and that's how you would play. And and for me, I was just like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to know where they came from because that's the story that I was told. Oh, by the way, people always think they didn't want explanations for things. Yeah. But often when they're then given those explanations, yeah. they get really mad about the explanations. Yeah, See exactly. the whole last series of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you didn't want explanations then. Yeah. Just keep making up your own things. It's interesting to me, though, because obviously the hairy uh, Harry's in the program act as an opportunity for you to really kind of debate, you know, roles of like, you know, and kind of allegories between subhumans and bring in like, you know, a lot of political issues there. Yeah. How do you balance, you know, the, the kind of social commentary, the political commentary with, you know, the rest of the show that you're making? Yeah, I think um, for me, I would I'd always talk... Um, in the writers' room about the hairy men kind of being like X-Men, you know, they're they're our they're our creature that we can say they're the other and let our audience decide who that other is. Uh-huh. Like we had our premiere in Berlin, and when we went over there, that was like when the the refugees were all coming into Germany, and and they were just like, how like what is this? What you guys guys are trying to talk about? And I was like, no, no, I, I'm. When I watch it, I see early colonisation. Right. You know, I've had I've had um, some fans come to me and talk about this being a gay straight issue. You know, so like for me, it was always about just trying to show the other. Um, but also like another that and like it's interesting you mentioned the X Men because I did feel like there is definitely that theme of an other that are, that are subjugating themselves when if they really kind of unleash their power, 
you know, there's people within the community. And this, see, that's why I always loved X-Men is because it's based on something real. Like, you know, originally the idea of X-Men was that you had, like, you know, you had Professor Xavier and you had Magneto and they were two guys who were essentially trying to achieve the exact same thing thing. but through different methods. And it came out of, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Like, and you had two people who were trying to achieve the exact same thing but just disagreed about the best methods to go about achieving that thing. And... And a theme that constantly comes up, you know, in the X-Men is that Magneto thing of going, well, we are, why are we letting them hunt us? Why are we letting them, you know, treat us like we're not special when we are, we're, we're super special. Yeah. If we actually use our powers, you know, we can do that. And I did certainly, like, notice that as, like, an underlying, which I liked a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Well, look, it's, it's great that you say it like that and, and bring Martin Luther King and Mount Malcolm X in because that's exactly, that exact same conversation is what we have in the room. We always go, who, which one is is Cohen, Malcolm X, or is he Martin Luther King? Right. And is Waru his brother? You know, and we'd always play that back, but we, we always wanted to, to blur the lines between the two. To, to well, I think that it, it, it does a very good job of doing that. Yeah, and I think... Like, I mean, the person who's meant to be the hero is largely... Yeah, unsympathetic yeah, for much I've, of the first series. Absolutely. And the person who appears to be heroic, yeah. even when he's not, you kind of still get a real insight into that, you know, you, you do genuinely think he he's trying to do the best for his community in the way yeah. that he perceives that yeah. to be, mixed up with his ego and all those things. And I guess for me, when I look at those two characters, I see, I see a bit of who I am today and who I was as a kid. Uh-huh. You know, like, you know, we would talk about, you know... Um, doing things that you know, I would. I'm ashamed to say I did, but I don't hide it because I think if you hide it, you're kind of trying to hide that you did those sort of things. Right. You know, like you know, we would. I'd, I'd talk about in the room that there was a period there that I couldn't remember a weekend that I wasn't in a fight with a group of mates, and to be to be going out now, I'd be like, why would people do that? You know, and I think. That's what we wanted to get in, especially the the lead Cohen was. He has so many flaws and he has a history of just being a prick, um, but wanting to show his growth. Um, do you think that people are scared of growing? Like, I mean, do you think that growing is a thing that absolutely. people find like really confronting? I mean, I often think when it comes to like racism or homophobia or any of these things, I often feel people are so held back by the fact that. You know, like, they're not homophobic now, but they were once, like, said yeah. a lot of things about gay people, yeah, so they yeah. feel like it's better to just never let it move on so they don't have to feel yeah, bad yeah. about what... Or, I mean, I, that's a very simplistic explanation, but I, I sometimes feel like that fear of growth is the thing think, that holds um, us back. I have, a, I have a friend, like, one of my, my closest friends, and we always always catch up with a drink and stuff, and he'll, he'll always, you know, he'll throw in a racist comment towards me just to, to rib me. But he always, you know, he says to me, he's like, it's, it's hilarious. He's like, I've seen you be a complete prick to people. I've seen you be, you know, racist to me. I've seen you be homophobic. He's like, and I now know that, you know, you're so far from that. He, he, had, a, he had a housemate who went to school with us and she knew that I was coming over. And she was like, why, why is he even coming over to this house? And then, and th- this was like 10 years down the track from yeah. our high school. And then he sent me a message like three days later. It's like, you know, she said that you are not the person that she knew. You, you know, you're a nice guy, all this sort of stuff. And I think it's just people just need to realise. And, and, but own it. I think right. if you, once you hide it, that's, that's when things don't change. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it's, I was starting to pull myself up of things that I was saying or doing, you know? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to, to have that capacity. So when you started putting the show together and you started weaving these things in, how does the actual then process of making a show work? Like, I mean, because this is fascinating because you're essentially a kid. Like, in terms of being a, you know, a creator of a show in the way that this is, you know, like the creative force behind it, an original idea, you know, in, in our industry, you know, they're throwing a lot of that, this, you know, new idea, this thing that a lot of people aren't seeing on Australian TV yeah. in the hands of someone who, you know, doesn't have the hugest amount of experience, but has a good story to tell. How is the process? What's that like? I think it, for, for, for me, it is about being... You know, I think I've got a good... Like, this show couldn't have been made if it was just me. Uh-huh. It would be shit, to be honest. Like, I think, you know, the, the thing that makes this show is it's so collaborative. You know, I've got a uh, you know a great producing partner in Rosemary Blight. We, you know, we can... Like I said earlier, we can argue, we can have a, a conversation and be heated, but know that we want to make the, the same, the best product we can. And we disagree on things that are story points or anything like that. But I think it's 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 the process for me is about working and listening to other people to get it. I think when people jump onto a project, they're jumping on it because they want to help. And I think you, you you learn you quickly see the people who are there for a paycheck, uh-huh. and they're the ones that you go, well, I know we're not going to work together anymore, or even through this complete project. <laughs> you know, like I think there are there are people there who actually are like I. I see where we want, what we want to make. I know the team's got a good energy, and I think that was the biggest thing for this show. Like the, our our set, everyone was friends. You know, like it was, it felt good. We got all, we got cast and crew who are like ringing us up, going, "Can we come back? What's when do you start?" You know, and I think for me that was that was really good. But I think as a as a producer and and with um, with Rose, it was it was ridiculously hard. But we hid that from everyone else, right? To, to make sure that we made the project that we wanted to what was to the hardest thing about it do you think like what was the thing that like you know like was the tell me this maybe what was the thing that you didn't know before you started this process would be the hardest thing about it that ended up being very hard the so, thing that surprised you I guess I, I guess the, the hardest thing for me was was letting go of ideas uh-huh. and and letting other people own those ideas um and when you do, when you realise that it's okay to do that, that they've got, you know, they've got great ideas themselves, or they're going to push your idea even further. And at first, I was just like, no, don't, that, that's, I, that sounds shit. I don't want to do that, or, or I wouldn't do it that way. And I, and I, and I, I still think you're going to find that all the way through. Right. But I think you now handle it in a different way. Um, you know, you, even sitting in the the edit suites and. And with the directors, you know, everyone has their, their vision or different decisions of what they make. And you, you, you watch the cut and then you think in your head like, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. But let's keep going. You know, right. like I think for me it was, it was just learning to open up. And do, when you watch the show, like eventually when it screens, where do you do that first? Like do you sit at home on the first night it's on the ABC and watch it live? I mean, I imagine by then you've seen it plenty of times. Yeah. But, but like in a sense of like, you know, when it first goes to air in Australia, your TV show, did you have a party or did you oh, sit no, around at I home and watch it? I just the yeah. first one. I, um, there was something, there was something good to just 
sitting at home. I, I, I really enjoyed live tweeting at the same time. Uh-huh. I think for me, you get to see people's reactions as they're watching and you never get that, you know. Um, the other thing was uh, both, um, there's a pub in Redfern that I'd always would go to and I'd often, when I had a shit day on set, I would go to this, this one pub and I, I would drink up. And I realised they, I saw them tweeting that they were showing the show. Oh yeah, okay. on Thursday night. I was like, right. well, fuck, I should go down there, yeah. um, and, and and attend one. So I, I called up Hunter, um, who plays the lead, and I said, look, this show, this pub shows the thing. We should go down and see if we can get some people. And we got some people to go, and it was just amazing to see everyone's there just drinking, having a good time. And then as soon as it hit nine thirty, it was dead quiet, and right. everyone sat there. And it was fun because, like, you, you'd hear people yell out smart-ass comments when at the characters or, and join in, and that was just a complete different feeling as well. Like, I think, I think there's something there's something about watching watching it with your audience or being there with it. Like, I guess you know, as a as a filmmaker or or, or TV, you don't get to see the reaction if you're a musician or you're a comedian. You don't get the the act, you know. The, the audience, right? The immediate to you. reaction. Yeah, and I think it was there was just something special of just being there and listening to people have fun. All right, we should finish up soon because other people are now out here having dinner, and we're probably <laughs> just spoiled it by them. Like I noticed that some guys sat ne- down next to us before and then moved away. Uh, but uh, I do, I did warn you that I'll ask you about this one because I like to ask people. So, what do you think happens uh, when we die? I always like to ask people that. I do you have an yeah. idea? Do you have a thought? Do you care one yeah, way or the I other? Guess, um, it's an interesting one for me. Like I, again, the, the journey going through high school, I was a prick, so I was just like, "Well, nothing happens." Yeah. Just, you know, and for me, for me, like learning more about culture and, and understanding it more, I do feel like there is a different side. I don't know what it is. I don't know. We can never explain it, but I do feel like um, when you pass, you, you pass over to family. I do feel like there's a better side, um, and it. And that is, there's different levels of how I got to that, you know, especially through my depression and, and having friends who also had depression and who, who have killed themselves. And, and yeah. I guess one thing that we always would talk about was like, well, well now they're better. Now they feel good. And, um, and I think that's, that's something really important. And it's something I, I, you know, I talk, talk to my son about. It's like, you know, because, um, you know, I was going to Paris, I was going to Germany, and he always like, he'd think of the terrorist attacks. Right, yeah. And he's like, you can't go there, Dad. I'm like, look, nothing's going to happen to me. And I said, and I would say to him, I said, if something has, you're going to see me again someday. Just not right now. So I think there, there, is, there is another side. You, you, you've talked about him a lot, like in this, you know, and it, you, it, come, it comes up very naturally. You yeah. know, obviously he's very important to you in like the way that you... Being a father, uh, do you have a fathering philosophy like is there something that you like you know is it a day by day thing or did you have do you have like kind of you know a firm idea about this is how I, I want to be a father yeah, yeah. Uh, look um, you know I'm, I'm no I'm no longer with his mother yeah um, but I've asked to have him I, I, I've said to her when, when I left I was like I don't want to be a weekend dad so I have him a whole week she has him a whole week okay. so we have week yep. on week off um, and for me I always just want to be there for him I always want to uh, I guess what I have is nothing's off limits. If he asks me a question, doesn't matter what it is, I'll give him the truth. Uh-huh. Um, and it's funny, with, you know, with my girlfriend, she comes over and, and, and you know, she's living with us now. But um, 
I have a rule with my son. Like, we play a lot of video games together. Uh-huh. And I've said to him, you know, it's okay for you to swear <laughs> if you don't like what's happened on the screen. I said, but you've got to learn uh, when, you can, when you can swear and when you can't swear. The, first, the very first time I said to him, like, I saw him swear. I'm like, all right, first, you're, I'll, I'll give you the permission to swear whenever you want when you know how to use it in context. And he asked me what was context. Right. I was like, figure that out. <laughs> And you can swear. And so, you know, it, it was those sort of things is what, you know, um, I'll wait for him to ask uh, a question and I'll give him the answer. I remember he asked me about sex when we were, at, we were out to dinner one night and there was a couple of college uni girls there and I was like, well. laying <laughs> it out and they're all just like giving me weird looks. I think, yeah, for me, it's, um, it is about just being completely honest to him and and letting him know what he what is socially acceptable i think if if i hide things from him he's not going to grow what do you think uh about australia and where we're at when it comes to you know what his future will be like you know as a person who you know like if he is a person who wants to uh, you know identify and be proud of and like you know pursue and know about being an indigenous person and the history of indigenous people in our country and all those sort of things what are your, you know, hopes and thoughts for, you know, where we're at and where we're going? <sighs> Look, I think there's... I know there's that's two, a big... I, by the way, I know that's a big question. Yeah, I think there's, I, and I I think don't there's two ways to, to, to go about that. I think the way that I first see it is I prepare him to deal with whatever situation right. we're in. Yeah. And to just be... Um, either have thick skin, know who he is and not give a fuck what anyone else says. Yeah. Know who you are. And if people call you a liar and you're not, then you're fine. Who cares? Um, I, I guess a, a part of me feels like part of me feels like this country's gone back. Yeah, I, feel, I, I, I do feel like a part of me thought, great, we're, we're progressing, and my son's not going to have the same issues that I had growing up. Um, but I, I feel like we've gone back. Yeah, twenty years. Why? I mean, I know, again, again, it's not your place to have the yeah. answer to that, but do you have a, a theory or a thought uh, on why you think it might be? I just, I think, I think we, we started to become more tolerant to shit. Yeah. And not enough people were voicing things they didn't approve. They're like, well, that person has that opinion. Fuck it. I'll just keep doing my thing. Um, I remember, I remember we were, we had a, a screening in Berlin and there was a, a an Inuit man there, and he said to me, he's like, um, he's like, what happened in Australia? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, you blackfellas, you used to, you used to be the forefront, you used to fight for your civil rights, you used to fight for, for rights of black people everywhere, and we looked up to the things that you were doing, but you guys don't do that anymore. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Like, I think, I think everyone in general um, on any of their sort of platforms have just become okay with way their way of life and I think right. it's not until push comes to shove where people are going to start to come stand up and I think we're at that that circle against where people are going to start up standing up again and voicing and, and, and forcing the movement mate uh, this has been an absolute pleasure but we should finish up because now officially there are people there are people so we probably should <laughs> we probably, we've eventually got to the point where I think yeah it's time for us to finish yeah. the podcast but tell people where they can see Clever Man now people listen to this all over the world so where can they see it at the moment what countries okay. can they see it but uh, look, start 
Look, uh, we, we, so we've wrapped up in Australia, but we, we're still on iView for, I think, so, another week. ABC iView. ABC iView. Okay, so another week. I'll put this up to make sure that the people hear about that then. <laughs> okay, great. And um, does it then go to, like, DVD or iTunes yeah, or we've got, that we've got a DVD, uh, to... DVD and Blu-ray release in, in August. Okay. Um, and then we have, uh, for the people in the UK, we've, uh, we're, we're on ABC, uh, sorry, BBC3 uh-huh. in uh, a few few months. Um, and then we'll be back in the States again. Ah, so that's absolutely brilliant. I, I highly recommend checking out this show. It's fantastic. I, I, I first messaged you because I was having a, uh, like, I mean, of all the times to hook up a podcast. <laughs> this is an insight into how I organize this podcast. I was at a music festival in Barcelona <laughs> having a conversation with a stranger on a hill. And I went to check. And, like, I was like, and I saw that. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to send you a message. About this. <laughs> so, this is where that all started. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. And thank you so much. It's for been awesome. Here. Thank you. Stay for-